0: This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at Banks, St. Samson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Okay, if you've got your Bibles with you, I want to read a verse. I think this has been really kind of very real to me over the last few weeks. I think it's a real kind of prophetic word for us as a church, as a body. Uh, something we often pray for quite a lot right? Isaiah 60 Isaiah 60 and I'm going to read from the first verse just a few verses Arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you for behold the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people but the Lord will arise over you And his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall be afar and your daughters shall be nursed by your side. Then you shall see and become radiant. And your heart shall swell with joy. Because of the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. Let's just pray as we come. I just also want us to pray for Amanda. I think she's travelling back. She's travelling back. When today is it? David. Mm-hmm. On the way back. So yeah, yeah. So we. Yeah. Okay. Lord, we we just pray right now that that you would give ju- Amanda journey mercies. Thank you for all that you've done over these past weeks, Lord. So Lord, be with her. Give her good journey mercies. And we pray now as we come to look at your word. What we pray, God, let the light of your word bring. Bring entrance into our hearts today, that you would speak, that you would prophetically reveal yourself to every heart and every life. Give us wisdom and understanding, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I probably want to just look at three key words from, from this, basically these verses. Arise, shine, and light. I think those are the kind of three key words from from this particular passage. And, and just to say, just to give you a bit of background here, Isaiah's prophesying, about the scattered Israelites that would return uh, back to Zion, I think also it's prophetically powerfully for us today so I want to get a hold of it and see it's incredible significance for us today and it says that we should shine and the reason why we should shine is because notice this he doesn't say the light is going to come in some future date. he says that your light has or what. Already come. One translation says, Rise and become radiant, I like that, because your light has come. In other words, what Isaiah is saying saying, Why are you lying down when your light has already come? In other words, when light touches you, you become light. And he's saying the glory of the Lord, which actually defines the presence of God. The word glory means the manifest presence of God. So when the manifest presence of God is residing is upon you, the result of that is that people are drawn to the presence of God. So God is one in a people that are so immersed with the presence that the glory, notice this, is upon them the Prince of God is residing. The Prince of God is powerfully upon them. And out of that, the result is people are drawn, people are affected, people are drawn to that light. And so what he's saying, he's saying, get up, rise up, because your light, your glory has already come. Is that right? So you think about it. Has Jesus risen from the dead? Yeah. Yeah. Does Jesus live in you? The Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of what? Glory to come. So, if Christ is already in you, that means his light, his glory is already in you. And so, we arise, we respond to the glory and the light that God has already put in us. You see, Darkness has already come. I mean, you don't have to be a genius to know that darkness is all around us. So even though darkness is around it, God has provided a solution. And the solution is us. The solution is the light, the glory of God in us being manifested out of us. And out of that, the darkness will be shattered and those who are in darkness, incidentally the word Gentile, Basically, means those outside of covenant, those who don't know God. So, those who don't know God will be drawn to the glory, to the light in us. Can you say Amen? Now, the word that the first word that Isaiah uses, and I want to think about, it, is the word he says, "Arise, arise." And I get this picture. Of what he's saying? He's saying, "Change your." Position. The word arise means to change your position. Let me give you what the Amplified says the about verse 1. It says, Rise from the depression and the prostration in which circumstances have kept you. Rise to new life. In other words, if we change our position, then we will shine. And that word arise means to be restored to a perspective God created us to have. In other words, that there are certain things in life that are seeking to pull us down. It's almost like a gravity that wants to pull you down. Things like depression, things like discouragement, things like all kinds of difficulties that are hitting our life and the goal of those things is to pull us down, to call us to to stoop down, to call us to be held down. And Isaiah says, don't allow those things to hold you down. Change your position and what? Arise. Have a different perspective because your light has come. Amen? When you think about it, position is a very important thing in all kinds of things in life. For example, I use football because I'm a bit more familiar with that sport, although I don't like to talk about it at the moment. Is that right, Laurie? We don't mention that word. Don't talk about that at the moment. But... Yeah, don't, we just don't mention that word. But the point is, in football, for example, sorry about that, <laughs> that some of the great goal scorers, shall we say, they weren't obviously the, the most talented people, but they're the ones who seem to put themselves in the right place at the right time. They learn, and there's a skill in it, to... to know that you're there at the right place at the right time to get the ball and to score it. And some of the great goal scorers were those who knew some way how to position themselves to be there at the right time. And I think that is true of many sports, that the great successes in sport are people who know how to position themselves at the right point at the right time. And I think it's true spiritually. If we're to experience the kind of glory and the manifest presence that God requires us for us to receive, the goal is learning to position ourselves. Amen. For example, on the day of Pentecost, do you think that just kind of they just turned up? The Bible says they had learned to position themselves. The first thing they did, we are told, was they waited on the Lord. They spent ten days waiting on the Lord. That means they were preparing themselves. They were getting themselves in that right position with God. They were preparing themselves. The Bible says they waited on the Lord. And the Bible says they were in unity together. Now we're told that before that there was all kinds of issues and relationship issues between them. And I think over those days, they were beginning to deal with some of the issues, the relationship issues they had, to the point they were in a place of unity. They were also in a place of obedience. Why? Because Jesus said to them, tarry, go to Jerusalem and tarry there. You think about this. That Jesus appeared to 500 people, is that right? And yet, on the day of Pentecost, there were only 120 people there only 120 people obeyed and responded. And because they obeyed, they were in the right place, the right time, they positioned themselves, the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, because they had prepared and positioned themselves, God did an incredible thing. Can you imagine how you must have felt if you were one of those 500 that wasn't there? that you missed out on probably the greatest move of God. And you'll find throughout revivals, revivals didn't just happen. They happened because people arose and positioned themselves for a revival to come. For example, the Welsh revival. I went to the chapel where, that, where, where it actually when it began. I've been there a couple of times, where the actual revival happened, the Welsh revival that literally touched the whole world. But they positioned themselves. And there's four keys. If you read some of the things like Evan Roberts, the four keys they had for revival. Here's the four keys of the world of evil. They said this. Confess all known sin. The second key was this. The second position they took was search out all secret and doubtful things. The third position they took was this. Confess Jesus Lord openly. And the fourth thing was this. Obey fully the Holy Spirit. Now, can you imagine if those four keys were actually, basically worked in every believer on Guernsey? God is no respecter of persons, is that right? So, if they were willing to take that position and they saw that kind of results, dare I say that if we took that same position, what we would see also... See, it's all about taking the position. And if we would take the right position, we would see the results of that. And what God's doing these days, He is he, causing us to arise, He's enabling us to position ourselves for God to move. In a sense, God is never holding out on us. It's just us saying, God, I'm positioning myself, I'm putting myself in the right place. Putting the resolving the things I need to resolve, I'm putting myself in a position for you to come. Amen. Now go down to Isaiah as, as another another powerful position that God wants us to take. It says in verse eighteen, I eighteen of Isaiah sixty. 19, where have I gone? Where's the gates of praise? Let me see that. You see, I saw 60 somewhere. The gates of praise is somewhere there. 18, thank you. see I'm glad someone's away. 18, thank you so much. Oh, yes, thank you. Ray. Yes, yes, I couldn't somehow. I just... It's the end of the verse, end of the 8th verse. I knew it was there somewhere. It says, And you shall call your war salvation, and your gates praise. I think one of the great positions that you put yourself in is a position of praise. Now it says that, that your gates shall be gates of praise. Think about it. The Bible speaks about the New Jerusalem. And the gates of the New Jerusalem, you know what the gates are made of in New Jerusalem? Pearls. So thought about that, that's a big pearl. And if you measure all the dimensions of that, it's, it's just beyond belief, the size of it. So the Bible says... The gates shall be praise, and they're made, really, of, of pearls. And this is the point I want to think about. That pearls are the result of irritation. And almost this is what I feel God's saying, that, that through our times where we feel that irritation, the times when we're feeling the challenges and the difficulties, if we would take a position of praise, that praise would be a gate. And that gate would open a way for God to move. It's really bound to, am I going to moan about that? Am I going to complain about that situation? Or am I going to take a position and I'm going to praise God no matter what? Because if I do, it becomes a gate, an opening for God to come and work. You think about a gate, it takes you, or a door, it takes you to another dimension. You go from one gate into another room or wherever, another level, another dimension. I found that one of the ways to really get higher in God's presence, to really get into a, a greater level in God, is praise. It really is. It's the, key. It's, it's the key that opens the way for God to move. And if we would be a praising, a worshipping people, you position yourself for God to come. It's a beautiful story in, in the Old Testament where an army is about to destroy Israel. Remember that story? And God says, this is the position you take put the praisers on the front line and go out and meet the enemy. What were they doing? They were positioning themselves for God to come and do something awesome and incredible. And so he's saying, God, what position? Do I need to change my position? Are there certain things I need to change? Is it a position I need to change? Maybe I need to take the position in my life of getting into a prayer closet, of praying, getting my, positioning myself to pray. Maybe I need to position myself and, and complain less and be grateful more. Maybe I need to take a position where I begin to take and declare the word rather than get into a place of fear. I begin to trust rather than worry. In other words, every new move of God, God will always require you to take another position. It will cause you at some point, in some, in some level, to arise and take a new position to allow him to come. So the first word is there, arise. Second word is, he says, shine. Number 6, verse 24. Number 6, verse 24. This is a well known, it's, it's the priestly prayer. You all know the priestly prayer. I love this. This is, he says, The Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you, and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you, and give you peace. I want to see this an incredible connection between shining and the face of God. It's an incredible, and I'm going to show you this as we go on, all the scriptures talk about the God's face, and us being connected to his face, results in a shining. And here we're told that when God's face is toward you, the result of that is God manifests manifests peace and grace. It's all about having this sense of the face of God being toward you. Look at this other great scripture, Psalm 80. When God looks toward you, There is blessing and there is favour. Can you say Amen? Psalm 80. It's all connected to this sense of shining and the face of God. Psalm 80, verse 3. Restore us, O God. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. And you see that phrase repeated three times in that psalm. Cause your face to shine upon us, and we shall be restored. Ever seen somebody restoring something? Maybe some antique furniture, and they just polish it. It's dull, so they begin to polish it, begin to work on it. And they work on it to the point... It shines. It begins to shine again. Or somebody restores a car. You know, and they're polishing out there. You know, really, you know, moving all the scratches out, all the marks on it. And if you're good at that, see me afterwards. But you know what I mean? You're moving all the scratches and it's shiny and everything. Restoration, when something is restored, it results in that shining. And I think that's so much what God does. He restores us to enable us to shine. He restores the dreams. He restores the, the broken parts of our life. And the reason why he's restoring us is because he wants to restore us to shine. He puts hope again in our hearts. Where we've lost hope. Puts the, the vision, the dreams back in our hearts that maybe have been have been lost. He restores the relationships that have been broken. God is a God of Restoration can save amen? That's the awesomeness of it. He restores. says he even restores the years the locusts have sto- stolen. Often, sometimes we feel we've wasted years. Maybe certain things have just robbed years of our life. But God has an incredible ability to, to accelerate and restore those years back. And the goal of restoration is so that we shine. God restores you, so you begin to shine again. Look at Psalm 119. Don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole psalm. Uh, Psalm 119, and you can tell how long it is, Psalm verse 135. It says, Make your face shine upon your servant. And teach me your statutes. I oh, think there's a great picture in the sense, that, that when God causes His face to shine upon you, it brings wisdom. In other words, that you be, ever had that experience that suddenly the light shines, you see something, and suddenly you see it in a way you've never seen it before. Almost the light shines on a verse, on a scripture. Something comes alive inside you, the light comes on. And when God causes his face to shine upon you, something of his word, something of his wisdom begins to come alive inside you. Let me give you one more psalm. Psalm 104. Psalm 104 and verse 15. And the wine that makes glad the heart of men... Oil what? To make his face shine. The word oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, is symbolic of the anointing of God. It says the presence of God becomes real to you, the sun you begin to shine. There's something about the presence, there's something about God impacting your life with his presence that causes you to shine, to reflect it. Now, with all that, think about all that. In other words, my ability to shine comes from the face of God. That's how my ability to shine comes. It comes from my ability to seek and to know the face of God. Have you ever read this experience? Have you ever been somewhere and you feel somebody's looking at you? Have you ever read that? And you kind of look around and somebody's looking at you. you read that? You kind of perceive it. You kind of... Uh, that somebody's been kind of looking at you. And God says... Seek my face. And David says, Your face I will seek. In other words, the quest for the face of God is a quest for his presence. And that means that there's a burning desire that says, God, I'm seeking your face by a desire to do things that please you. I want to please you. And part of seeking the face of God is a desire to, to do everything to please him. Those of you who had children, those of you who still got children, do you remember when your kids were small? And they do things. They go, Watch me, daddy. Remember that? Watch me, daddy. You know, and they climb up and they'll be doing something. And not just once, they do it time and time again. Remember that? And they keep doing it. Watch me, watch me, watch me, watch me, watch me. What are they doing? They want to see your smile of approval. Is that right? They want to do something that pleases you. They want to do something that you feel approval of. And when they see that you've approved of it, something in them is formed by it, and helped by it, and encouraged by it. And I think it's the same with our Heavenly Father. There is something, when you realise that God approves of you, that causes you to shine. I think many struggle with this sense that God doesn't approve of them. But when you realize His face is towards you, He approves of you, He accepts you, something in that kind of begins to move your heart. And I think to seek His face means that your affections are anchored in the sense of God's approval of you. And once you're anchored in that, once you know God approves of you, the Bible says you are accepted in the Beloved. I think sometimes there's something in us that that never really feels that God approves of us. Never really feels whatever we do is ever good enough. And so we never really live with a sense of approval. But when that gets inside our hearts, I am approved of God his face is towards me and he's looking at me with approval, something comes alive inside your heart, amen. It causes your what? Your face to shine. Also, to seek the face of God means this. It means to set your gaze upon him. Whatever you set your mind on, whatever you set your heart on, Causes your spirit to be opened up, to be touched by Him. You see, when you're looking at Him, that means there's certain things that you're not looking at. When you're looking at Him, that means you're not looking at your problems. Is that right? Looking at Him, that means you're not looking at your circumstances. When you're looking at Him, that means you're not looking at all your problems, and all your difficulties, and all your challenges. You can't both be looking at God and looking at your problems at the same time. Is that right? And so, it's powerful about looking at him. And i found this in my own personal life. If I find there's anything too hard for me, that means I'm not looking at him. Because Jeremiah realized this. He says, Lord God, I'm looking at you. And if you created the heavens and the earth, then nothing is too difficult for thee. So, here's the point. If I'm overwhelmed and overcome by some problem or difficulty, that means well, I'm looking more at myself than looking at him. When I look at myself, I see my own inadequacies. I see my own weaknesses. I see my own inabilities. And I see things that are too big for me to cope with. And the reason why that is, is because I'm looking at myself. But the more I look at him, the more I begin to realise anything too hard for the Lord. If I need healing, then the good place to look is to the healer. Amen. If I need provision, the great place to look is to the provider. If I need protection, the great place to look is to the one that protects. It's all down to what we are gazing at and what we are looking at. How many say, Lord, I want to gaze on you. I want to face on you. And I just think that is such a, an awesome truth. I think Jesus, great picture there where he feeds the 5,000. You know the first thing he did? Just those meager loaves of fishes. The Bible says he took the, he took the bread and what did he do? He looked up. He looked up to where the source was. He didn't look to the, to the meaner resources he had. He looked up to heaven. That's awesome, isn't it? Something happens when you look And you focus on Him because the more you focus on Him, the more your problems seem so small and so insignificant to Him. Can you say Amen? Looking on to the Lord. And you think about it. What you gaze at, you reflect. You reflect it. Whatever you're looking at right now, you begin to reflect it. For example, you gaze at your problems. You're gazing at your challenges. You're gazing at all the pressures that are around you. And you know what? You begin to reflect that. You know how you know. People come to you and say, Are you alright? What are they saying? They realise there's something not quite right because you're manifesting what you're gazing at. I don't have to say a word. And you'll say to me, What's wrong? Because she realises maybe at some point I've been looking or gazing... And it's been manifested out of my countenance, out of my attitude, out of my atmosphere over my life. What happens when you gaze at your offences? It manifests. How does it manifest? Often through our conversation, through our words. Whatever you're gazing at in your life right now, at some point, it manifests. It's revealed. So how much more happens when you gaze at Jesus? You know what they said about the disciples? We see that you have been with what? Jesus. You are reflecting what you have been gazing at. Pretty quickly, look at Exodus 34. There's another great picture of this reflection. Of this shiningness, story of Moses. Exodus thirty-four and verse twenty-nine. Now it was so that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, the two tablets of testimony were in Moses' hand. When he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses behold the skin, his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Isn't that awesome? In other words, the encounter he had with God was so awesome and so credible, it it was shone out, it was shining out of him. I believe this with all my heart. Often when we truly encounter God, it begins to be revealed. It's manifested. People become aware of it. People become very conscious You've had an encounter with God. Now you'll notice this. This is actually Moses' second major encounter. Because in the chapter before, he talks about the fact that he says, God, show me your glory. Please show me your glory. And when God turned up with his glory, the Bible says, the goodness of the Lord passed in front of Moses. In other words, he encountered, he experienced the goodness of the Lord. And there's something about encountering the goodness of God that changes your life forever. You know what, you know what changes? You begin to see God as your solution rather than your problem. I think some people often see God as their problem. I've got to get God on my side almost. I've got to get God for me. I've got to get God on my side. And so we often see God as our problem rather than our solution. But when I see that he's good, when I see that he has my best interests and heart, when I see that God is really for me and not against me, when that truth burns in my heart, it begins to be reflected from my life. And we're told Moses had such an encounter, it was revealed. Now you think about light. Light shines on you. It's light if you like let me define it light. light shines on the object unless there is something that blocks the light from reaching the object so here 's the point god 's perfect desire for you is for his light to shine on you but here's the issue sometimes we can have things that block the light from reaching us, and I think the goal of the Christian life is to remove all the objects that prevent God. God's presence, God's glory, God's light from reaching us. Removing the objects that hinder and stop God from reaching us. And part of it is saying, Lord, are there objects? Are there wars? Are there barriers that stopping your radiant presence, your radiant glory from so impacting me that I reflect it? And we need to remove the objects, remove the, the barriers, remove the wars. Because there's the point if the light doesn't shine on me, then I don't reflect it. But the more of the light, the more of the glory, the more the presence flows on me, the more I begin to reflect. One thing about Moses is this. He reflected it, but he didn't even notice he was reflecting it. And I've found this often. When God's working in you, you may not even notice yourself, but people do. Let's say things... You seem so different. You seem actually more joyful than you used to be. You seem more cheery. and There seems to be a real peace over you that there didn't used to be. There's something in you that has changed, that is different to what you used to be. And maybe you may not even be aware of it, but people become aware of the glory, of the radiance, of the light, that begins to shine inside you. Can you say amen? That light of God. Let me just bring this one. 2 Corinthians 3. Because here, Paul begins to talk about this encounter and experience that Moses had. 2 Corinthians 3. Verse 13. 2 Corinthians 3. So the goal of our lives, really, get a hold of this, is we're saying, God, are there obstacles, are there walls? are there barriers that's preventing me from experiencing the radiating presence of God in my life? And So we, we examine it, we deal with it, we remove those obstacles, we remove those barriers, wherever they are. We begin to deal with them, we begin to remove them. Now in 2 Corinthians 3.13, this is what Paul says. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day the same veil remains uplifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. So in other words, there's a darkness over people. Have you ever seen that? That there's a blindness there? Ever been in, in a dark place and suddenly when you get to the light it kind of affects you? And it's almost what people are. The, the light almost affects them. They, they can't cope with the light. And it says in verse 15, but, he, but even this day when Moses, sorry, it's verse 16, nevertheless when one turns to the Lord the veil is taken away. In other words, the moment you come to Christ the veil, the blockage, is removed. So why allow that to to remain? When the Bible says it's removed, it's gone, it's been dealt with by the blood of Jesus. Now the Lord is the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I believe the result of of experiencing God face to face, which we have the potential to do. As we encounter Him face to face, as we seek His face, as we encounter His presence, as His glory light shines on us, the result is liberty and freedom. I just believe so much more God's got, God wants to bring us in greater levels, in greater depths of liberty. You think about it. Liberty and freedom. To be free to be who God has called you to be. That's what he wants. In other words, you're not self-conscious. Not so conscious of yourself you're more conscious of him. And that's where true liberty and freedom comes about. And I think the big thing about this is you begin to see yourself the way God sees you. I've shared it before, but The Lion King, I love that, that film. And there's that point where, when he looks up and his dad says to remember that? Was it Timber? Is Timber. Yeah, Simba, Simba, says Simba, Simba. it says, Simba, he says that, he says, you've forgotten me. He says, how have you forgotten me? He says, you've, you've forgotten me when you've forgotten who you are. And maybe when we really see God, we begin to see who we really are. You'll never really know who you really are until you really see God face to face. The Bible says that we are the apple of his eye ever look close into someone's eye and see your own reflection? When you really get close up to God, you begin to see who you really are. You begin to see your identity. You begin to see who he's made you to be. And that's what brings the liberty. That's what brings the presence. When you begin to see yourself through his eyes. You don't see yourself through your circumstances. You don't see yourself as other people see you. You don't see yourself through what other people have said about you. You see yourself as God sees you. And as you see yourself as God sees you, it's liberating, it's freedom, it's beginning to transform and change. Because the one thing that stops us shining is because we're so conscious of our own weaknesses, our own abilities, our own limitations, we then are unable to truly reflect the Lord. Here's the point. Paul, look what he says there. Let me just move on. One last verse. He says there, verse 18, But we with all unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glorious glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What does a mirror do? A mirror absorbs light and reflects it. And that's what we're doing. We're gazing at the Lord. We're focused on Him. We're absorbing His light in us. And as we absorb His light in us, we just begin to reflect it out. Amen. Let me close with this. Matthew 5, verse 13. And I'll close with this. Time has gone. I'll just bring out the bullet points. Because, here's the point. Matthew 5, verse 13. So we'll read down from summary we we'll read from verse fourteen, it says, "You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp, put it under a basket and on a lampstand. it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven here 's the point: We are the light Jesus pours his light in, and we reflect the light he has poured into us. You are the light. This is what Jesus says. And he assumes that you're doing good works. He assumes that these things are being done. And as you're doing these things, as you're doing the good works, as you're doing these things, people begin to notice. But here's the point. They notice that you're doing those things because you belong to Jesus. They see that the, the, the what you do, it's because you belong to him. Now you think about this, light is influence. It's, 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 it's unseen influence. And Jesus says that you are to be a light, you are to be an in, unseen influence that begins to impact and touch people's lives. Now when I've only got bullet points, I'm just going to throw this out and then you can think about it in your own time. How do I show this influence? How do I shine this light? Very quickly. I'm just going to throw these bullet points out and then you think about it as you go through the rest of the day. First way is, sincerely care about people. Jesus says, people will know you're my disciples by your love. Secondly, whatever you do, do with excellence. If we do things that are apathetic and indifferent and half-hearted... We never impact and we never influence. Number three, be authentic and genuine. Be yourself. I think a real, enthusiastic, authentic, caring Christian are God's greatest light and God's greatest evangelists. Fourth thing, pray for God to show you where you can make a difference. Ask God to open your eyes to make a difference in my world. And the last thing is, find a need and meet it doesn't have to be a big one, but find a need. And look for some ways that you can meet that need. That means, I say, God, here are my talents, here are my resources, here are my abilities. Use them to make a difference. Use them to be light that shines into darkness. Amen. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanteelam.co.uk.